another night, I don't know, of delving through. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how, you, how you would describe your feeling of uh, this journey through Matthew. Slogging? Are we slogging? Are we strolling? Are we galloping? Sauntering? Sleeping? I know I heard a few people comment like, oh, it's so nice and warm in here. <laughs> that equates to, whoo, uh, maybe need to take a stand up. We'll take a, like a 20-minute stand up. At 6.50, we'll say, okay, everyone stand up. That way we can, um, you know, confront those that have fallen asleep. Let's uh, pray, and then we'll, we'll get into this next section of parables. <clears throat> Lord God, we come to you tonight, and uh, we do thank you that that is warm in here, and the gift of warmth, and the gift of a place that is heated, and most importantly, Lord, the gift of people that desire to grow, and to know you, and to know and love each other, and to grow together, and so we just pray that you would be with this time that we have tonight as we open your word and hear uh, from you as Matthew has laid this out for us and we just as we engage with with your spirit and with each other and your spirit through each other that we would uh, be open and receptive to what uh, what you have for us tonight so just be with our time um, may your spirit be ever present with us in Jesus name amen all right, so uh, here we go. We're going to continue walking through here. Um, you know, John was uh, doing the par- started with the parables last week and why the parables. And um, you know, I asked I asked our morning group how it went, and I think the consensus was, well, it was very John like. <laughs> um, wow, traffic must have just been brutal. Whew. It sneaks up on you every time. I'm going to turn my uh, watch on uh, off because my friends that know that a lot of times if my friends are tuning in, they'll just text me mercilessly because they know that my watch is vibrating. Um, so yeah, last week I was in Iowa at the Ultimate Journey, and at this point on Wednesday, I was about tapped, um, and I still had an hour and two hours and 15 minutes. Um, so, so here we are, uh, after the parable of the sower explained, uh, we are in the 24th verse of Matthew chapter 13. So, he, Jesus, put another parable before them saying, I just, I have to admit to myself that these glasses are, are not cutting it. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven may be a, compared to a man who sowed Good seed in his field. But while his men were asleep, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the we- uh, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, Jesus, or the master, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. 
Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and take, make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He, Jesus, answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He or she who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the northerns. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't say that, actually. That's, that's not the gospel. That's far from the gospel. Threw away the bad. So it was, I just want to make sure no one had fallen asleep just yet. We haven't gotten to our 20 minutes yet. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so um, the first thing I want to uh, make us aware of, and you'll say this is obvious and we've said this before, but words matter. So words and the use of words matter, of, they're of utmost importance. For example, we need to make a clear distinction between what is a simile and what is a metaphor. I've become well aware of how important words are in the last three days. <laughs> so what is the difference between a simile and a metaphor? See, this is very important for us. Like right, like and as. Thank you, teacher. So a simile uses like, and a metaphor uses as. What? Oh, 
Okay. Okay. Thank you. So a metaphor is a one to... What? I just love that you... Yeah, when you do show up, then there's just like constant chatter. And when you don't show up, then there's constant text messages. <laughs> yeah. So... It's this idea of, and they're going to correct me because they now are fully on board. <laughs> Metaphor is a one-to-one. -one. Correct? They, they are trying to make them the same thing. A simile is a comparison. So it's not a one-to-one -one correlation. So Jesus, in all of these examples, what, did he, what does he say? The kingdom of heaven is like this thing. So he is not saying that the kingdom of heaven is these things. The kingdom of heaven is not these things. That's why it is important for us to make this distinction. Because we try to make these parables something that they are not. So he's trying to give us this imagery as a way to draw us in, draw the first listener in to this idea, but he's not trying to get us to say the kingdom of heaven is this exact thing. Because interpreting those things is very important. And as we go, as we have been going through this, notice how he uses so many similarities. You know, he just finished talking about the sowing of seeds, and so he takes that same piece of imagery and then uses it in a slightly different way. So we have these two visions of how the kingdom functions in the planting of the seeds in the previous parable and now the planting of the seeds in this parable. And so they're not the exact same. They are similar to one another. The other thing that we want to pay attention to is the number of examples that he uses in rapid succession. Because again, we can often clip out certain pieces and miss out on the broader context of what Jesus is trying to do. Because if we lift out a single parable and act like Jesus just taught this one parable at this one time, we miss out on what he's doing. And, and the question becomes, is Matthew doing this as, a, as the, the narrator, as this rhetorical device to load things up, to drive home the point? Or is it Jesus saying, let me give you a bunch of examples, one after another, so that you're clearly aware of what I'm trying to communicate. Chances are it doesn't really matter that much whether or not Matthew has taken these from various places and put them all here. We certainly know that Jesus says some of these things to the crowds and some of these things specifically to his disciples. The other thing I want to bring, us, bring our attention to is this use of this word, uh, inclusio, and I know we've used this word before, bonus points for what it is, huh, and the peanut gallery is silent. <laughs> it's this uh, verbal sandwich, so you take a piece of bread, which is one story, then you put something else in the middle, which is often another story or event in this case, 
we get the, the parable of the seeds and then the commentary on what's happening in the parables. And then we get the other slice of the bread, which is the explanation of what has happened. Notice that is what he did over in uh, the previous section where he talked about the parable of the sower. He puts in the middle the purpose of the parables, and then he includes this nice slice of bread um, on the explanation. So interesting rhetorical device. If you ever find that as you're reading, that's something that we should pay attention to. Why is he splitting them up, and why is he, what's happening in the middle of the explanation? So, he talks about this parable of uh, the weeds. And the kingdom of heaven is similar to this event that takes place. The seed is sown. The good seed is sown into the ground. In the middle of the night, the enemy comes and unbeknownst to the workers or the, the master of the house, sows within it these bad seeds. And so then things start to sprout up, and immediately his people are like, what has happened? There seems to be some weeds that are within the growing wheat. And what's important here is it's not alongside of, okay? It's not like in this row we have wheat, and in this row we have weeds, or we have a bunch of wheat here in the middle, and on the outside of the perimeter of the field is weeds. It's that in this group of chairs, some of them are wheat and some of them are weeds, meaning the chairs, not the people. Because clearly, everyone that's here is wheat. Right? Of course. You never compare yourself to the weeds, ever. No. Also, we're going to get to this. This is not about the church. Jesus does not say the church is like this example. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven and how the kingdom of heaven is advancing into the world. And so within the kingdom of heaven, we see this casting out of good seed. Now, it's not, again, as we try to interpret these things, we want to make a one-to-one -one correlation. We want to say, okay, so Jesus said seeds, and Jesus, or God, is casting good seeds. And so God is choosing in advance the seeds that he's planting, and those are all good seeds. And then Satan is choosing in advance who are all the, the weeds. That's Again, we want to do that, but that is inappropriate for this text. This is about the kingdom of heaven and how it is advancing. And, the, and we see here, and I want to point something out because um, as we go, and as you're reading through your Bible, oftentimes there's these teeny tiny little numbers where you're kind of like, what is that? If there's ever a number, you're like, yeah, they're called verses. <laughs> they're not verses. They're at the end of a word or a sentence. Like, for example, in verse 25, this word, and sowed weeds. Notice there's, in most of your, our Bibles, there's a footnote that has a number four. 
And then so you go to the bottom, and you really need your cheaters or a magnifying glass. And probably Darnell, or Darnell, depending on how uh, you pronounce it. The idea is this particular weed, as it sprouts up, looks exactly like wheat. And so that is important for us to understand that it's not like, you know, we planted a bunch of beans and then coming next to it is dandelions. It's like, well, that's obvious. Dandelions don't look like beans. Like, I thought beans come in a can. Nope, they come out of the ground. And so these two things are growing up simultaneously, and it's hard to differentiate what they are. And so the workers say, well, let's go out and solve this problem. Let's go out and pull up all these weeds, and then the wheat will be able to flourish in the ground that it's in. Except if you've ever planted anything, like beans, and if you don't go out there soon enough, and the weeds are a particular size, and you start to pull them up, you have a problem. And that problem is, as you pull out the invasive grass that is next to the beans, with the bean, then everything comes out at once. You have this decision to make. Do we either pull out the bean and the grass together, or do we just let the grass grow among the beans, and then do, let the beans do their thing? So G Jesus, in this parable, the master is saying, we can't pull out the weeds because the wheat will suffer. He says, let them both grow together until the end, until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So that's where he leaves this parable at this point. So, I want us to just jump ahead because I think it's important for us to jump ahead in this case because we want to know we're on the edge of our seats. What's going to happen? What's, what is happening here? And Jesus explains this. So again, he's painting this picture of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and how it functions in the world from this point until judgment, until the last day. It's not until we decide. It's not until, you know, it's, it's till the end. And so then we get this imagery that the wheat that is growing is those who are followers of God, those who are followers of Christ. And, and we see this interesting correlation. We've talked about this before. The imagery of the follower of Jesus Christ is something that grows and, I heard it, produces fruit. So in this case, and, and if you've ever grown wheat, hello, a grain of wheat produces more than one grain of wheat. It produces a stock with multiple grains. And as John talked about last week, and we talked about the week before, this idea that, that a shoot of grain is to produce and to see this bountiful experience. And yet, how often is it that we see our Christian faith in this very siloed existence where it's just about me and God and whatever else happens is not my problem. It's about producing fruit and seeing 
more little baby seeds come to fruition, which we call this idea of discipleship. So produce it, and you're like, so I just have more kids? Okay. It's a simile. It's not like, it's a picture. Like, it's okay. It's not a one-to-one. And so if the kingdom of heaven is advancing here in this earth, and there are people who are the wheat that are followers of God, and then there are weeds, again, where are the evil ones, the sons of the evil one, where do they exist? In the world, in the big picture. They all exist together. Now, again, this is so important. This is not about the church. This is not about the church. Jesus is not saying within local congregations, there's people who are good Christians and there's people who are sons of Satan. That's not what he's saying. But for far too long, that has been the interpretation. It's like, well, you think, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you, you look around, and you're like, totally wheat. Then on Sunday morning, you're like, that person doesn't even come to Wednesday night. Weed. <laughs> What's the problem with that? It sows division. It sows judgment. It sows all these things that Jesus is not trying to communicate here. Jesus is, he's speaking into a first century audience, and he's saying, you all live in a world where there are good There is good and there is evil. And evil is going to continue to exist right alongside the good. And that is a fact. And that's going to happen and going to continue to happen all the way until the end. And what does he say to the workers in the parable? And don't try to change that. Ooh, this is so hard. Even today, as I'm reading, I'm just like, no, no. Sorry, this is not correct. Because we face this challenge that exists where we desire to root out evil in the world. We desire that because that seems to be a good thing to us. And so then we make it our mission to root out evil, to pull up weeds that we encounter as we go throughout life. Oftentimes, we do that through very violent ways. See the Crusades. See the Salem Witch Trial. I mean, just see so many events where, where we have gotten this wrong and we have tried to, to become the agents of reaping out, pulling out the weeds. And Jesus is telling his disciples in the first century, don't do that. Don't do that. That is not your job. Your job is not to 
pull up the weeds that Satan has planted in the wheat. And even as I say it, I'm just like, I don't know. So I'm just supposed to sit by and let all these terrible things happen? I'm just supposed to be completely passive and just let sin reign. Well, the interesting thing about this is someday we'll have green grass again. And I spent a lot of years being very excited about grass, like the kind in your yard, to be very clear. That just got misquoted, clipped out. Okay. Eric was really into grass, if you know what I mean. And one thing, when you plant grass, you have some weeds in your grass. Even when you get the best grass, you get the best grass seed, you pay loads of money, and you're so excited, and then all the grass starts to sprout up. And then the weeds start to sprout up, and you're like, ah, I paid too much for this grass seed. And one way you can do, one thing you can do is go on a weed elimination mission. So you go out there with your Roundup. No, not your Roundup. That would be bad for the environment. You go out there with your au natural thing. You dig up your dandelions out out of your grass. And you think, oh, I got this, except you don't have it. Or what we can do is we can increase the quality of our soil and our grass, and then the grass grows so thick and lush that it actually crowds the weeds out. You're like, yeah, but still weed and feed, right? Oh, of course. Again, it's not a one-to-one. It's a picture, right? There's holes everywhere. But the idea is if the grass is flourishing, the weeds have no time or space to grow because the grass dominates the weeds. So when we take the same imagery of the wheat field and, and the weeds, if the wheat flourishes, the weeds get choked out. So we can focus on doing what we're not supposed to do, which Jesus is telling us in this parable, try to pull out the weeds, or we can focus on the flourishing of the wheat so that the wheat grows and spreads and chokes out the weeds. And we don't have to pull up a single weed. Yeah. Yes. Oof. Oof. 
there's some people. Sarah Kincaid just said there are some people that are unsavable. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, is, that is what is such the struggle with this. Is Jesus is painting this picture that as we see it happening, we're, uh, I don't know. And so then we have to ask ourselves how much of the frustration that exists within us about this is things that have been culturally handed to us, frameworks that we have inherited from either our, our you know, American culture or the Christian culture in which we, we f- came to fruition in as followers of Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know. What I do know is we spend so much more time focusing on getting rid of the weeds than we do on helping the grass flourish. We take a strategy of if we just get rid of the weeds, the grass will flourish, rather than saying if we just let the grass flourish, we won't notice as much because we're never going to get rid of the weeds. I mean, the picture that Jesus paints is this isn't going to happen until the end. till like, the end end. This isn't happening anytime soon, I don't think, as in, like, we got to wake up tomorrow and start pulling weeds. That would be the opposite of what Jesus is saying. And notice, whose job is it to take care of the weeds? The angels. <laughs> I wish I could have been here last week so I could be... I could just be chirping. (laughs) It's the angel's job. Jesus sends his angels to come. The Son of Man will send his angels, verse 41, to come and to what? Gather out. Now notice this. Notice this. The first thing that is gathered up is all the causes of sin. All the causes of sin are gathered up. And the weeds. So this is a picture of the elimination of evil within the kingdom of God that is this earth. So it's not just the elimination of some people who deserve to not be here or to be there in the kingdom. It's also about the last judgment ridding this place of all evil. And I think so often we overlook that. Yes. Yeah, we don't know that. Yes. Yes, so 
we go out and we do this thing that we call evangelism, and the decision of that person is not up to us. It's not our thing to do. I would, I would draw an uh, even more distinct point. It's not that, you said, it's not that evangelism isn't our job to do. Right? That's what you said. This isn't about evangelism. Yeah. We, we have this misconstrued idea that evangelism is about pulling up weeds. We, when we make this passage about the church, which it is not, then we make evangelism about ridding weeds from the wheat. Which, again, that is a misrepresentation of this text. And what I want us to focus, again, is as the, as the wheat grows, more wheat is able to grow. And so... You know, we're going to talk about evangelism at various points. This, this passage isn't about evangelism. This passage is about the flourishing of the seeds that have been planted. And as John talked about last week in the previous parable, that was about what happens with the seed that gets planted. This picture is the seeds have been planted. The seeds are growing. How do we make sure the seeds grow more? And how do we make sure that the evil is dealt with? That's, you know, that is our concern. And rather than pulling out the weeds, Jesus says, don't pull out the weeds. That's the parable. This person says, don't pull out the weeds. The weeds are going to grow. So could it be the case if we focus more on the flourishing of the wheat, then we would be less concerned with the growth of the weeds? Because the other thing that we see here is, is this gathering up of all the causes of sin and all the lawbreakers. And where are they placed? They're placed in a fiery furnace. Does that bring anything to mind? Yes. Rakshak and Benny, right? Of we, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are flourishing amongst a bunch of weeds, right? That's this picture. And they get thrown into the furnace, and the opposite happens. And so Jesus is pulling on this imagery because then he does it again when he's talking about uh, taking care of the fish in, in verse 50 and throw them into the fiery furnace. Have you ever burned weeds? Again, like, you know, the stuff that's in your garden, like, I mean, this noxious stuff that grows in your garden, like, so, many, so much confession that doesn't need to happen tonight. We're just talking about, like, an image that Jesus uses about dandelions and that sort of stuff. Once the weeds are burnt, the weeds are gone. And Jesus uses this interesting imagery of throwing the weeds into the furnace which causes us to scratch our heads and ask, 
again, what exactly is he talking about? What is he drive, what point is he driving home here? But let's back up. Because he uses some other very interesting examples. He uses these examples of the mustard seed and the leaven. And the idea that this tiny little thing that happens, when cared for and allowed to flourish, produces this abundance in which other things other than the mustard seed bush, it's not technically, it's not really a tree, it's more of a bush, is allowed to be the safe harbor for other things. So when the kingdom of heaven advances, it produces far more than one could ever imagine. And the, pro- the production that happens in the flourishing of the kingdom of God isn't just isolated to the individual. So as the kingdom of heaven goes out and advances like this mustard seed, when it is allowed to flourish and been taken care of, it becomes this massive thing. And the birds of the air come and they nest in its branches. And then the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Have you ever captured wild yeast? You realize that there's like yeast everywhere? Yeah, there is. There's like yeast all in this room. There's yeast all over your body. Yeah, I know. You're kind of gross. You're like, I just took a shower. It's still there. Yep, still there. So back in the day, they didn't have, you know, the jar of rapid rise yeast that you kept in the fridge. They would cultivate their yeast, their own little yeast cultures, and they would put it in their bread, and you couldn't even see it. It was like virtually unseen. And we could talk a lot about wild yeast. Nikki, Nikki's like, Lord knows, Eric will talk for a while about wild yeast. But again, it's this imagery of this tiny, tiny, almost invisible thing when cultivated has lasting impact over and over and over and over and over and over. So when the kingdom of heaven comes about, it doesn't have to come about in this huge, big, splashy way. It comes about in these like incy-wincy, minuscule events. And then when cared for, one day it's like, oh my word, there it is. Producing bounty after bounty after bounty after bounty. And Jesus introduces us right here to this very interesting phrase. She hid it. And then again, he says, in the, next three, in the next two parables. And he talks about this idea, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone finds and covers up, then takes, then the joy that it, he goes forth, and he sells all that he has and buys that field. And the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who sells all that he has to buy it. And so we see this interesting, Jesus, remember back when he would heal people, 
certain people, he would say what? The kingdom of heaven is nearly secretive to some people. Like the people that he's talking to, they don't, even, they don't even get it. It's right in front of them, and yet it's hidden in plain sight. It's like the NyQuil the other night. Why it's not feeling well, I'm like, I'll get you the NyQuil. Open up the closet in the hallway, and I'm looking everywhere. And it's not a big closet. It's not like I have to walk into anything. It's like, Small closet. And I'm like, how in the world is it not here? I know it's here. Then I believe that somebody has taken the NyQuil, thrown it in the garbage, because why would we need that anymore? The next morning, Wyatt opens the cupboard. Dad, it's literally right in front of your face, and you missed it. Must have been hiding. So Jesus gives us this very interesting imagery that the kingdom of heaven at times is so hidden and secretive and yet at other times it is so clear and apparent. And what is the point? The point of these two parables is what? These people are willing to exchange everything that they have. Remember back when Jesus is calling his disciples? They leave everything and follow him. He reminds us here, the kingdom of heaven is worth leaving everything and entering. Because what is gained through the acceptance of the kingdom of heaven and the offer that Jesus has for us, nothing, nothing in this world will even compare to what we are receiving. Notice. Verse 44. This hypothetical person. He finds this thing. He covers it up. Then he toils and laments all the things that he's going to miss. And with sadness, he sells it all and accepts the kingdom. No. With joy. With joy. He's so excited. Like if you've ever lost anything, like I lose stuff all the time. All the time. And then you find it, you're like, wow, I found it. Joy resounds. In this case, this this person, this imagery is, I have relinquished with great joy everything that this world has to offer. Everything. It's not, he sold most. He sold 75% and kept 25%, you know, in a bond. He sells everything. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable that nothing in this world compares and the joy that comes from, yes, take it all. I don't want any of it. None of it. And then again he says, 
Don't get too excited. Just so, just. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. And again, it's this imagery of the judgment that resides in the future. So it will be at the end of the age. So it will be at the end of the age. The end, the end, the end. Not the beginning of the end, not the middle of the end. The end of the end. This thing is going to happen. And they're going to be thrown into this furnace. And this imagery of the pain and suffering that exists apart from the presence of God. That's this imagery. And isn't it so fascinating that that there tends to be this idea maybe historically speaking, and Sarah, you brought up this, this imagery of, we go down to the park. We go down to Gregory Park. And if we have to select from any of these parables that Jesus is offering us in this tiny little section, why is it that, that there tends to be this drifting towards Let me tell you about the fiery furnace. Can I get an amen? Okay. Why do we want to talk about the fiery furnace? Why not talk about the pearl of great price? It's it's so worth all of it. We know some people are motivated by negative consequences, negative reinforcement. Yes. They get what they deserve. The question that I continually brings to the front of my mind is, what exactly did we tell them? I mean, I remember being a kid and just being terrified. Like, I don't want to be burned. <laughs> so I'd rather take the alternative. Except that's, that's just like a tiny little fraction, and it's often an inappropriate fraction of what Jesus is doing. He is offering the people and us this pearl of great price, this grand treasure in which everything in the world pales in comparison and, and we can become so fixated on the, on the punishment. And so I ask us tonight, what if we stop fixating on the punishment when we told people about who Jesus Christ is? And we told them about the great victory the grand treasure that is the advancement of the kingdom of God that is worth everything that we have in this world. Everything. You can go to your discussion groups.